From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Yes, you are hearing the much clamored for voice of Emily Armstrong once again. Who is clamoring? Um, the three people on Facebook that gave me a big <laughs> like on the post. I'm going to assume that you liked it because I was hosting just a few episodes ago. So we are doing it again. I would love to introduce you to the people that are sitting around the table with me this morning. I'm going to start on my right with Scott Armstrong. Que lo que? Ah. <laughs> He's going to throw his Dominican saludo in there. <laughs> Dario Richards. Hello. And Natalie Franco. Hi, guys. We are excited to be back with you. And I think you might remember if you listened to the last episode that we have done a different format of Ben thinking. Uh, if you are a longtime listener, you might know that we you have been doing Ben thinking for about a year, maybe year and a half. And we usually try to cram in about four or five different thoughts into 26 minutes. And it doesn't work very well all the time. So we're trying out a new format. We'd love to know if you like the new format. We only want to do things that you want to listen to. We are not doing this for us. We are doing this for you. And so we uh, had two been thinkings with myself and Dario of what we've been thinking about. And then this episode, we're dedicating to Scott and to Natalie, what they've been thinking about. So I'm going to start with Scott. Scott, tell us a little bit about what you've been thinking. It has been a couple months since uh, we as a family, as you know, as I think everybody here in this room knows, uh, we went and spent Holy Week in uh, Paris, France, ooh, ooh. and we <laughs> saved up for uh, a, a long lifetime. time, yeah. <laughs> and we were able to be there. It was incredible. But some people may be like, "That was your vacation." It was vacation, but I don't know. I'm learning. Have we done with you, Dario, and with you, Natalie? Have we done strengths finders at all? Yes. You, do you know your strengths and everything? Yeah. One of mine is learner, and so even during vacation. I was like writing down, jotting down different things that God was teaching me and I was learning. And, I'm going to blog this. Was, yeah, yeah. And, and like I talked to a few people, uh, some of our coordinators when I got back and they were like, dude, just enjoy vacation, man. Come on, what is your problem? Um, but anyway, there have been two things that have stuck with me that really I, I have learned. First thing is just that, I'll say it this way, don't miss the beautiful because you're following the crowd. Okay. So here, here is the example. And here's where I learned this at the Louvre in Paris. Literally there are works that are world renowned, world renowned. And there were so many people. In fact, there was, I I was even reading in one of the newspapers that one of the big stories was there are lots of tourists after COVID, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like now Paris has opened up and man, everyone is coming, you know, well, we were some of those people. (laughs) And, um, and so we're at the Louvre. Literally, I thought like I I got the map and there was a brochure and we the yeah. Louvre is an art museum. I'm sorry. In Paris, yeah, just I'm in hoping case. that somebody would, would know. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's good to yeah. say. Yeah. We've got some younger listeners right. that maybe have never heard of it. Probably the most famous in the world, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but probably. So we got this brochure and here's where you go. And so I went from the first three levels, you know, and I'm just enjoying paintings and just enjoying so much stuff. And then I'm like, okay, I only have the last two levels. There are five levels, right? Only the last two to go. And so we got together as a family and and we were like, now it's time for lunch. And I said, all right, we're almost done with, you know? And, and they were like, dad, 
that was one of five wings. <laughs> like I, you got through three levels of one wing. There's still four other wings and all this other stuff. And so afterwards, people are tired. We, we had lunch. We're, you know, even the family, we were kind of like, some of us were like motivated. We want to keep going. Some of us were like, ah, we're ready to kind of take it easy and just go back to the hotel. But they said, well, we haven't even gone to the wing where the Mona Lisa is. We haven't even gone to the wing where the Venus de Milo is, right? Those are the two most famous things. Well, guys, we went and we started, literally there are signs. You start, you have to go to this wing to go to the Mona Lisa. So you go to that wing. Oh, wow. And then once you get to that part, oh, this way to the Mona Lisa. <laughs> oh. And then you go down this other hall, this way to the Mona Lisa. And there's just droves of people, just people, just so you go in and the Mona Lisa is there and they have like the lines they've, they've, they've uh, like uh, sectioned off areas where you can just like a ride for Disney world. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going back and forth and everyone's in line to just go and see the Mona Lisa. I know this sounds ignorant. When we went up to see the Mona Lisa, I had seen so many other paintings that impressed me, that caused me to stay for 10 minutes and just meditate and think the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, all these other things. You go up and Mona is right there and, <laughs> and everyone's taking their selfie and it's mobbed out. I have pictures of there are 500 people around this one painting. I'm not exaggerating, no, right? And, no. and, and, and then it's a big room, but yeah, it's lots a big of room. people in there. But so many people, and it's a small painting, and everyone's taking their selfie, and everyone's wants, and there were mobs of people that were passing. I literally was starting to look. I was like, "Wait, we're passing." Oh, there's this great, famous painting, "The Wedding of Cana." Huge, no, gigantic. No, it's gigantic. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, Mona Lisa. Where's the Mona Lisa? Mona Lisa. I just felt like. And then later, we went to the Venus de Milo. We went to the Venus de Milo, guys. They have statues upon statues that are amazing. Go to the Venus de Milo and you're like, why is this famous? If you want to look it up, mm -hmm. it's famous basically for being famous. Yeah. Because <laughs> somebody said it's famous. Somebody said it's famous and now it's famous. And people, selfies and everything, mobbed out, so many people. I just don't want to miss the beauty in life because I want everyone to know I went to the Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. I don't want to miss all of the things. And I'm not talking about the Louvre now I'm talking about like literally in my life, how many times has, has God wanted to show me something? And I've just been like, yeah, yeah, but that's not going to get as many likes. That's yeah. not going to be as popular, but really I, the crowd says I need to do this when he's saying, yeah, but there's this other person that maybe you're not noticing. There's this other experience that no one would say, oh, that's going to be phenomenal, but I want to teach you something there. I just want to be more perceptive and not follow the crowds. I'm glad I took a selfie too. I'm not, I'm not I'm going to confess here, right? <laughs> you know, I made sure that I took some pictures of those two things as well, but caused me to think, and I would, I would like to ask you guys, do you feel there are moments where, especially in our society nowadays, where we're just like, you know what, without even thinking the crowd dictated what I should feel about this or even how I should spend my time or what I should do. And does that even happen in our spiritual lives where we miss out and um, on, on, I'll use the word beauty, truly beautiful things that God would want to teach us be just because we're kind of just, well, everyone says I need to go here and do this. What do you think? Yeah. I think the example that 
immediately pops into my head when I thought about what is it that like I've followed the crowd in and the generation that Scott and I are a part of is the generation that can remember a world without technology and a world with technology. Like we were literally in college when technology started to become a more solid piece of everyday life. Digital technology. Right. Like we were still, I remember Scott typed out pages and pages and pages of seminary documents of reports and stuff that he was doing on like a word processor, right? Like that's how that was. Not till he just looked at you and was like, What's I a have word no, processor? Clue, no clue. At all. <laughs> right. Like, right. Maybe Dario too. I don't know. I don't have a clue. No, see, <laughs> see like we so we're, we're 44 years old. So we're like, we're right in that sweet spot. We grew up without the technology, but now we've been adults with technology. And it's been very interesting to me to listen to the conversations that I'm hearing from people our age that we just went with the crowd, right? Like we got the cell phones, we got the smartphones, we got the tablets, we got the laptops, we got everything that everybody said that we needed. And now there's a lot of people our age that are like, but my life is like not near as fulfilling as I felt like it was when I was 18 or 19 or 20. And there are a lot of people that are like, I don't need a smartphone anymore. And they're moving back to flip phones because they're like, I just need a phone. I don't need a miniature computer in my pocket. So when you say about that, about, you know, have we missed something beautiful? I miss analog life. I miss things that are not completely digital. I miss things that... Um, that allow me to relate with people in a non-digital atmosphere. <laughs> and so that it's interesting that you say that and even use that analogy because I was in the exact same space and we were just passing amazing, beautiful things just to get to the one thing. And I feel like um, cell phones for me, mobile phones um, are starting to become that, you know, if like everybody says I need it, but do I really need it? Do I really need all of the social media that, that the world says that I need? Can I function in life without everything that they're telling me I need? Or and I think the answer is yes. Or even if we have it, like just that it wouldn't domineer our lives, mm -hmm. you know, because there could be something beautiful right before us yeah. that, that isn't just on social media or on our phone. Yeah. Um, the, the technology conversation reminds me of a book I read some years ago and it talks about the concept of a technopoly where one of the intended strategies of big tech it's to convince us that we can't live without it. Like that's mm -hmm. ingrained in the strategy of how if I can convince you you can't live without this, then you're gonna you're gonna pursue it. Um, but I think as Scott was mentioning, you know in the same book, there's this quote that I use all the time. He he says, When we created the ship, we also created the shipwreck. You know, you don't get shipwrecks if ships don't exist, right. you know, but because they're shipwrecks, you don't stop going on ships, you know, so <laughs> so how do you find the balance between ensuring if you're going to get on this ship that is taking you in a direction that doesn't lead to, to a wreck? But I think one of the, the things that came to mind immediately as you spoke about following the crowd um, is just on social issues, mm. you know. We live in a generation who only gets behind what everybody else is behind yeah. Yeah. or who your favorite celebrity or, you know, your favorite voice is behind whatever issue, whatever, you know, whether it be wars, you know, whether yeah. it be um, injustices happening in certain spaces, they seem to be, you can predict who the majority of voices are going to lend their support to based on where the crowd is at, you know, based on where the celebrities are at. And I think personally, it's a huge problem, mm -hmm. you know, because 
because I don't feel like you have like in my experience I feel like if you are genuinely concerned about this particular issue what about when this was happening to this particular people group or in this particular place how are you all of a sudden passionate about it here now because you know this is really voices and the crowds are a whole media has influenced us and Loves to tell us who we should be hurt by and who we should be (laughs) moved by and who we should give to, you know. So that's one of the areas that immediately popped up. Um, Just just how we deal with social issues. Yeah, it's so good. Well, the I mean, there is another thing that that God taught me. We don't have to talk a lot. Uh, I want to leave some time also for not to leave. But the other thing is just honestly the customer service that we received from the hotel where we were. Emily has a gift of finding hotels and finding lodging in different places that's not too expensive, but also going to be good, you know. And that's the type of hotel that we found. It was smaller. There were probably, I don't know, 25 to 30 people. It's a boutique hotel. Yeah, yeah. So not even rooms, people that that were Mm -hmm. there while we were there. But they served you the best breakfast ever. I mean, amazing (laughs) breakfast that you don't get in some of these bigger hotels and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And some of you may be like, well, who cares? I mean, good customer service. (laughs) That's that's what they should do, right? I mean, I, I would say yes, but there have been so many times that I haven't received that. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to think literally how they went. It wasn't just being nice. They went above and beyond. They were, they little things, you know, just is the temperature in your room. Okay. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, that's weird, you know? (laughs) And like, would you like anything else for breakfast? Can we serve you? Not just like the continental breakfast of just grab whatever, you know, and, and then talking with you and how did your, they, they found out we were going to a a football game, you know, uh, soccer for those of you in the States, we're going to a football game. How did that go? And just asking it. And you're like, who are these people? What's going on? (laughs) And it, it, made me, it did make me think, just as the church, you know, yeah. goodness. I mean, sometimes we just assume that everyone's been there before. Yeah. Sometimes we just assume that, come on, man. I mean, like, this is just where we all love each other and this is great. And, and we don't think of the specific little things that are so crucial. Cleanliness, uh, uh, friendliness, uh, just things that are so important not just when they come into the church building or the sanctuary, but I'm saying just as a church, how can we literally two months later, I'm thinking about this, still, <laughs> you know, how can we be the type of place where a person would come in contact with us and would be like, man, I'm still thinking about being with Natalie yeah. two months ago, man. I just had a conversation with Emily or with Dario. And I just, man, I just, there's something that really is is exciting to me about thinking about the church in that way, mm-hmm. not just as, well, we open our doors and hope people come. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I think we've got another step to go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think part of that, even when I think about the side of the church is that specific space, it showed that they had pride in their city. It showed that they loved their city. They wanted you to come back. They wanted you to love their city as much as they did. And there was one day that we were just going on a picnic and Scott just was like, we're going to go on a picnic. We had a backpack. We had thrown some stuff. And the, um, it ended up this guy that I know that you really connected with. He's the at least a part owner not, yeah. of, of this hotel. But like he pulled out this picnic basket and he was like, go take this picnic basket with you. It'll make all. He said, if you lived in Paris, you would have one of these. And he's showing us how to use it. And like he wants 
wants us to take. And we were like, we're okay. We're all backed up and stuff like that. But like, I think about that in the church context of, are we so excited about what Jesus is doing in our life that we want other people to be like, yeah, I want to be a part of that too. Like, he was not just selling us on his hotel service. He was selling us on his city. He wanted us to love it as much as he did. And I think as the church, like, what do we do as the church to make sure that people love Jesus as much as we do? And when we're so closed off and we're we're not welcoming and when we just stay in our own people groups, when somebody does walk in, even if it's somebody that's a part of the church, it's like, well, I don't really usually talk to that person. I don't know what's going on. Like, we can't meet their needs because we don't know their needs. Like, that guy just asked, where are you going today? That's all it was. And he's, we're going on a picnic. And he's like, well, I have something that could meet your need. Like we don't even have basic conversations like that. So I think it's something the church could learn. I'm glad that you brought that. Natalie, we would love to give you some space for what you've been thinking. I would love to know what has the Lord been talking to you about in the past few weeks? Oh, well, um, well, I've been thinking a lot about because of conversation I had with some friends and also because of my Bible study and it, it, it's, it amazed me how I was talking with friends, but also when I was studying the Word, then I was able to see in the Word the same I was thinking and talking with my friends. Is this like a personal Bible study or like you're going through a group Bible study? Um, just personal. Personal Bible study. Yeah, and okay. I'm going to be a little bit ashamed of saying that I'm, I just finished studying Genesis. <laughs> All right. I know it is a book like people, sometimes they don't find grace on these kind of books, but I think I found... Lots of, I found lots of um, learning from the life of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and especially this time, and this is like what I want to talk a little bit more, it's the life of Judah and Reuben. Mm. Yes. And how their character and their behavior uh, affect their leadership and their people they were leading. Um, so I was studying uh, Genesis 49, uh, and I saw Jacob blessing their sons. And it was, I have to confess first, that every time I have the opportunity, I and, and I see my mom and my dad in the room, I tell them, Dad, mom, please, can you please bless my life? Bless mm. me, bless me, please. Wow. And my mom, she just follow my... <laughs> follows you lead yeah (laughs) and she puts the hand on my head and she starts to to give blessings by faith and I'm like I mean but my dad he's like looking at us like are they crazy or what are they doing my father (laughs) they don't understand it but it's something I really love and I when I was able to read that in the bible on and on with Abraham with Isaac and now with Jacob I was like wow this is awesome but when I was reading what he was uh, saying to Reuben, I was like, oh, wow. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want that kind of blessing. <laughs> if you're going to bless me this way, please don't say anything at all. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because he was saying that Reuben, as he was the firstborn, and because of that, in, in that time, they supposed to have the birthright as he was impetuous like the waters, like as he was not... Uh, stable, mm-hmm. he lost that privilege. Mm-hmm. And and when I was able to see Reuben life, first, he was not strong enough. He didn't have the authority with his uh, siblings when they were about to um, kill Joseph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He didn't stop them. I can see that on 
that personality, which is not stable. And also that he slept with the concubine of his father, Dinah, which is the mother of Dan and Neftali. Mm -hmm. So you were able to see how he didn't even respect the authority. And because of that, because of his character, because of his behavior, he lost blessings for his own life mm. as leader. But also, if you started to, uh, to see his tribe, there's no judge or prophet or king from, mm. from Reuben tribe. There's nothing from mm. that tribe. And I started to think a lot, how can something good come out of... Um, unstable leader from a leader from a leader without passion how can a disciple can like be with passion too how can something good come from a leader who is not passionate about what he's doing or that or that has flaws in his character exactly exactly so how can something good came out from that mm -hmm. and i've been thinking it's not fair and i've been talking also with some friends And they, we have been thinking about how they are so passionate about serving. They are leaders in their local churches, in their, in their district, and also in the field. And they are like, you know, I want to do so many things. But then my leader, they don't even talk to me. Like, I'm texting them through WhatsApp, for example. It, they, they don't answer. They don't do anything. How am I going to grow? How am I going to serve? How am I going to do what God is calling me to do, if they don't allow me to do it, like, their leadership, it is, it's affecting my life. It's mm. affecting, and I'm like, how? Yeah. Like, how? I just have lots of questions about this, more than answers. I've been just asking God, how do you allow people like these leaders, like these lead others? Yeah. Because, I know the we have like the harvest the harvest is great and there's not too many servants but these kind of leaders are not helping. <laughs> not mm. helping. Yes, mm -hmm. it's backwards. They are they are obstructing others to grow. Wow. It's interesting like even as you were talking about Reuben I've never, I don't know about you, Dario, I've never thought he's a bad leader. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've never thought about like Reuben as a, but as I think back, he could have done more mm -hmm. to save Joseph. He could have done more. And I think a lot of times in leadership, if we could just say this person is a great leader or this person is an awful leader. But a lot of times what we see is there are leaders that, I mean, they have great qualities, but they also just aren't brave enough to make the right decision aren't don't have the character or the integrity to say, we will go this way or we will not do this, you know? And so compromises are made, sins are committed and leadership and even generations are affected. Exactly. What do you think, Dario? I know that some of your expertise lies in like leadership. When you hear something like Natalie's question, what was it bring to your mind? Yeah, man, I think, Obviously, leadership is so important and so critical to so many things. Mm -hmm. um, one specifically is a major leadership role is preparing and releasing um, the generations behind them, the people who are following them. And as you see, I don't think many leaders sometimes acknowledge how much of either a roadblock 
mm-hmm. they could be or a significant means of access to mm-hmm. persons, not just having opportunities, but discovering calling and purpose and really beginning to uh, live the life that God has called them to live. And, you know, the as we observe, you know, I speak a lot from the perspective of the Caribbean, but I think this is an issue right across the board. Um, sometimes the quality of leadership um, that has responsibility of driving, whether it be our church or driving um, some initiatives, they really can do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, based on the question um, that you ask, you know, I always reflect on the fact that the Bible says that all leaders, whatever position they have, once it's a position of leadership, that God puts them there. You know, nobody comes into leadership that isn't overseen, mm-hmm. that isn't, you know, watched over. You know, nobody's surprised. No leader comes into power that surprises God, you know. And we have seen throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, how God has used leaders either to judge or to bless nations, you know, like as an act of judgment, a bad leader would emerge. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of it all, you know, like, even when you read the prophetic books, wherever there's judgment, there's always a promise of hope, That's a true. promise mm-hmm. of blessing. And even under horrible leadership, you still see the grace of God begin to emerge in other leaders rising up. You know, you don't you don't get David without Saul. You know, like that <laughs> that, that that relationship is what forges who David becomes. Mm-hmm. So when they hear, when they see, when they observe bad leadership. And the questions emerge about, you know, how can anything good or how can they contribute to um, anything good? I always think about the fact that a bad leader does not rob God of control. Mm. And God could use bad leadership to also fulfill his purpose. And in that could also mean other leaders emerging or arising or recognizing, you know, you can see a leader say, this is what I want to be. Or you could say a leader and say, this is not who I want to be. Mm-hmm. And in just making a decision not to be that, mm-hmm. you begin to develop the type of characteristics yeah. and the skills that are necessary um, to continue the next, you know, the to get the baton and mm-hmm. run the next leg of the race. So, so yeah, so it, it, it's just a reminder that God is in control. Mm-hmm. You know, bad leaders don't rob God of his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. God is in control. Yeah. I love that answer. I hope I hope it's encouraging I to you, Natalie. You. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I've been like it hurts. Mm. It hurts me. I was talking with my pastor about that. Um and we were pretty much talking about like what happened with the youth of the church. Because they had love. We were always loving them. We were always with them, encouraging them. And one of the things that my pastor said right away was because of the leadership we had during that period of time, they didn't even want to, they were rebels. <laughs> they didn't even want to stay and do what I, like, when they come to me, can we do that? And I say, no, look, at, we cannot do this because of it. They did it even though. Mm-hmm. So how can they stay if their leaders who were uh, talking to them, preaching them, and advising them were this that had this behavior weren't a good model for them exactly mm-hmm. so i was like oh, oh. yeah i think as we continue to 
like wrestle with things like that. And those are the not easy things. What I can see drawn out of even the example of Reuben is he literally is a continuation of what God promised to Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. He becomes one of the 12 tribes. And even though he probably was a terrible leader, I would hope that there's some type of redemption that happened in his Mm -hmm. life as he grew older and was doing something else. But he was one of 12 tribes that when Christ built his church, he chose 12 disciples. So it's not like, you know what, there was one that was just kind of flaky. So let's do it with 11. You know, it was like, even through the midst of bad leadership, I think, if anything, we as the church should take a lot of hope in knowing that God redeems even the things uh-huh. that are bad. Amen. And even if it's like, I had four bad years or 14 bad years under a leader that was just terrible. I love even, Dario, have you, how you said, like, if there's a main leader that's terrible, but there's so many people around that are like, well, I'm going to be a different leader. Mm. Like, God used one person in order to forge how many? 400, 500, 600 in a 15-year period? that are different styles of leaders or difference. And so I think there's a lot of hope in that. So Yeah, and when I see then Judah, as we see, he wanted to make a deal to take advantage of Joseph. Instead of killing him, let's maybe sell him to the Egyptians. Like we, we saw him then, he was not fair with Tamar. But then we saw that he changed. We saw, as you said, Emily, how God changed him. Then mm-hmm. he was humble enough to recognize he was not right. He, how he changed later on. And even when they were, they were in front of Joseph, when he was the governor, he was he even gave his life as substitute of for Benjamin. So we saw how he mm. changed. And then from his leadership, I was able to see David came came from his tribe. Yeah. And Jesus, I even was, though I, was I see say, the exactly. Lion of Judah. Yeah. And we see a different leadership, a humble person who huh. was who has been changed, who is always trying to recognize, okay, I did it wrong this time. So I need it. we see another kind of leadership and we see the yeah. consequences of his leadership right. and how it it helps a lot how many kings came from his tribe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should be more than Judah. Yes, definitely. That's a great place to land on this podcast. Yeah. We should lead more like Judah. <laughs> we probably well, should in, in create Ju- a t-shirt. In Judah after, after exactly. his change. Because yeah. he was a mess before. Of course he was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We are yep. all a mess before. Yes. We are, which is the gospel, right? <laughs> exactly. Like God can take anybody that's a mess and I can mm-hmm. use them for the good of, of my kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's encouraging to think about some of the things that you guys have been thinking about. So thank you for sharing those with us and allowing us to take a part in some of your thought processes that maybe we hadn't had on our own. Scott, if somebody else wants to talk a little bit about what you've said or what Natalie said, where can they maybe engage that conversation with us? We would love for you to subscribe, to tell somebody else about us, uh, to rate, to review. Uh, But certainly you can start by visiting mesoamericagenesis.org or you can look at us on all the socials, uh, Facebook page, Worthless Servants. Um, We also have Twitter and Instagram. So we'll see you there. Thanks for being with us on this episode. We are the Worthless Servants. I'm Emily Armstrong. I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Dario Richards. And I'm Natalie Franco. We'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.